Man, it's, uh, it's hard to get up here after Lori. Jeremy, we've got to talk about that. <laughs> well, friends, my name is Adam. If we haven't met, it's my joy to be the senior pastor here. Uh, there's an there's a ancient tradition uh, that, that scholars call single warrior combat. Uh, they find uh, records of this, and we can see some in our own scripture. This is when uh, uh, an ancient tradition in war, we see this in the story of David and Goliath, right, where uh, warring nations send their champions out into battle one-on-one, and whoever is victorious gains victory for the whole army. This is what the Philistine champion Goliath uh, said when he was taunting the armies of Israel. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This is single warrior combat in a nutshell, where a victory by one person is shared by more people. Author Tom Wolfe draws a comparison between single warrior combat and the space race in the second half of the 20th century. In his book, The Right Stuff, he contends that the astronauts that the United States sent up into space represented much more than scientific inquiry, but rather it was, it was a race between our nation and the Soviet Union. It wasn't a battle just for space, but democracy. See, those, those few represented many more. Today, uh, we celebrate when barriers are broken, when people of, of a certain race or gender are in a position for the very first time, right? And, and because we find hope when people who look like us ascend to new heights and, and their success is a symbol for others who will follow in their footsteps. They have gone first and now others will follow. Their victory is shared by many. Friends, what I hope we'll discover today as we study God's word together is that on the cross, Jesus made tragedy for one into victory for many. It's a tradition in the church in the six weeks leading up to Easter uh, to to observe a special season called Lent. And that's from an old uh, English word meaning spring season. And during these six weeks, we're considering questions all surrounding uh, Jesus' death on the cross, the crucifixion. The cross is one of the most recognized symbols in the world, right? It's at the center of our room. People wear it around their necks as a sign. Uh, Some tattoo it on their bodies as a sign. Most recognized symbol in the world, one of them, how do we recognize its meaning? Do we appreciate it? So our hope is that this Lent, you would emerge with a much deeper understanding and appreciation of the beauty and brutality and significance and meaning of the cross. Now, in a cross-examination, that's what our series is called, the, a witness who's already testified is asked questions to determine the credibility of their testimony. So every week we have a question that centers around the cross. This week's is, what did Jesus accomplish on the cross and for whom? My wife is a teacher, and so I've been coached up a little bit on <laughs> whom. I'm going to try and get it right. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you haven't, but you're still somewhat familiar with the phrase, Jesus died on the cross for you. You ever wonder how that worked? What's, what's the math on that? How did, how's it work? Now, there's lots of things I experienced that I take for granted. And then when I think more about them, uh, they're amazing. Last month, and actually they're still there, my aunt and uncle, whom are, are just the best, and you'll see one reason why, 
uh, they traveled to Rome. And I was telling my aunt that like number one on my bucket list, uh, I heard about this probably 15 years ago. I had a friend go and I've, I've wanted to go since. Number one on my bucket list is to see chains that were worn by the Apostle Paul in, in uh, uh, St. Paul's Basilica in Rome. Now, here's what was cool. My aunt, actually, that's a photo that my aunt sent me. And when my aunt and uncle toured St. Paul's Basilica, they FaceTimed me. So it's like I was walking around. It was, it was incredible. Now, our time, it was also like 6 in the morning. And those of y'all that know, I don't get up at 6 a.m. for a whole lot. But St. Paul, I guess I could do it. The Paul. And I just thought that was amazing. Well, like, what a world where like there's cell phone reception in this basilica across the world and I can FaceTime with my aunt and uncle. It was amazing. Or have you ever thought about like how, how incredible the medication is that we have access to? Let's take something pretty low stakes. Like if you have a headache, you, t- you take this pill, then you don't have a headache. It's like magic, right? And I would say the same thing about Instacart Aldi delivery. It's, 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 it's magic. Magic. I tell the computer what I want. It even remembers what I got last. Would you like some more? Uh, you know? Yes, I would. Thank you. And I don't have any idea how it works. I just tell them, tell them what I need. I try and tip generously. And then an hour and a half or whatever later, groceries are on my doorstep. Now, I have zero idea how FaceTime, medicine, or Instacart delivery works, but I love them all, (laughs) right? And so I don't have to know all the inner workings of something to appreciate it and to benefit from it. I would say the same is true about the cross, right? Like the Bible doesn't give us a formula for how salvation works. We don't have some equation for how all this worked out, but we can investigate what Jesus accomplished on the cross and who was intended to benefit from it. So our scripture today is from the book of Hebrews. This was a letter written to the Jewish community living in Jerusalem. Sounds like it might be an Old Testament book. It's a New Testament book, the second half of the Bible. And the author, uh, the author's identity is unknown. Scholars have some guesses, but we really don't know. And this is what we read in chapter two. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. So Jesus was made like us with the intent that we would someday be made like him. For only as a human being could he die. Jesus stepped out of his eternal glory and made himself subject to mortality, again, like us. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The power of death. I, you know, this is one of those scriptures that's, that's a little bit beyond, you know, like how to get through your Monday tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like the Bible has lots to say about daily living. I think that's really important. But this is one of those messages today that's really about the bigger picture. The Bible calls death the last enemy. The last enemy. This is the enemy Jesus came to defeat. In another part of the New Testament, we read imagery about the mission of Jesus and what he accomplished. Having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So I think an important question that comes after we read this is, well, who are the powers and authorities? 
there are two main forces of human opposition against Jesus while he was on earth, the Roman Empire and the Jewish temple. Romans considered it treason for anyone to be worshiped other than Caesar, and the Jewish high priests considered it blasphemy for anyone to call themselves the son of God. So you can see how Jesus wound up in the crosshairs between the two of them. They found a common enemy in Jesus, and they conspired together in his arrest and execution. The method of elimination they chose was the cross, and they executed an innocent man. But what they meant for defeat, God would use for triumph. Because just when they thought they, they, thought they finally got rid of him, that is how God would show that he could use the means of something evil to bring about redemption. What Jesus initiated, what he started, what he began, was the transformation of mortality to immortality, or what the Bible calls perishable to imperishable. This is from 1 Corinthians. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our victory over death is bound up in the cross and the rising of Jesus in his resurrection. Now, more on that in two weeks. That's what we're building up to here. But this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Victory over the last enemy, death. This gives Christians, as Titus 3, 7 says, the hope of eternal life, that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did what he came to do, defeating death and securing victory. Then I think another question remains. So if, if Jesus did accomplish victory on the cross, whom for? So we're gonna go back to our first passage from Hebrews and we'll read verses 14 again and then on to 15. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. There isn't one person who isn't subject to the fear of death and dying. Life has a 100% mortality rate. And so who did Jesus die for? everyone. One of my favorite TV hosts is Michael Wilbon, and he says often, Father Time is undefeated. Every single person is under the power of death and in need of rescue. Later on in Hebrews, we read about the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus himself said that, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. To me, in these two verses, the operative word is all. That sounds pretty inclusive to me. It sounds pretty comprehensive. See, there's a stream of theology out there called limited atonement. And I really do try to not use this time as like a, just a, like the pulpit sermons are not for my rants. Like something you should know about me, I'm a little embarrassed about. I wish that ranting was a spiritual gift. Like I would be, I'd be a saint. So I really try and separate 
my desire to rant from your experience of what I hope is something meaningful in God's presence here. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna try and not go off unhinged on this, but I am gonna go in a little bit on limited atonement. This is the idea that Jesus' death on the cross was only for certain people. And here's what I find ridiculous about this concept. I have never met one person that believes in limited atonement who also doesn't find themselves on the list. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Well, Jesus didn't die for everyone. Of, of course, me, but not you. Like, I don't even know how, how, how to discuss that. Uh, so I think arguments over that kind of stuff just aren't that interesting. So when I say Jesus died for everyone, I think it brings about an important question. And this may perk you up. If Jesus died for everyone, what about those who don't believe in him? Mm -hmm. That's why it's cross-examination. In John 1, we read this description of Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus was rejected by many in his own time. Similarly today, there's lots of people who, who don't want to have much to do with the message of Christ. We talked about why that was so ridiculous last week, why it's so hard to get your mind around sometimes. Now, there's a lot more nuance to this topic, but here's what it comes down to for me. Like, we don't have time to really explore all this in this sermon today. But I believe that people who reject God will get what they want. Now, I also can't imagine someone who truly knew the goodness of God not coming to believe in his name. Simultaneously, I also can't imagine God rejecting one of his children who earnestly desired to receive him. And I think in these discussions, a lot of these questions center around what will happen to other people later. What I'm trying to focus on, because what will happen to other people later is in God's hands. I'm trying to get you to think about you now. I'd invite you to consider your scenario now. So that's another sermon for another time, some of these questions, but let's consider ourselves currently. I was trying to wrap my mind around how to, you know, this resurrection and life and death, and there's really no bigger topics. How, how, what's a picture we can have for these? And then I saw the new trailer for Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun 2, Maverick. And man, I was just, they had a, if I was really cool, I would have learned the little melody. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, the preview. Highly recommend it because they've got like the kind of soul, almost, it's almost kind of creepy, just the little single piano with the, and just I'm watching this like, yeah! Yeah, I'm, I'm just so in on it by the end. Uh, but to me, the concept, the concept of a world premiere trailer is hilarious, right? Oh, did the movie come out? No, just the preview. Aren't you excited? Like, what? that's funny to me. Now, I've watched it eight times, but it's still funny. Like, no, this is the world premiere of the trailer. Not the premiere of the movie, the premiere of the trailer. The premiere of the preview of the movie later. 
We are all familiar with the concept of a preview of a trailer. Friends, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection are a preview for all those who believe in his name. It's not the premiere yet, it's the preview. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That by his death on the cross, we would share in his victory over death and his victory in the resurrection is a sneak preview. And so if Jesus accomplished victory over death for many, what changes in our lives because of Christ's victory? I would offer you two things. The first is that we can be free from fear and doom. Yeah, I've had several kind of life milestones sneak up on me. Uh, we're registering our daughter for kindergarten this year, this, this fall. Uh, you guys are fairly kind not to comment on it, and I'm not, certainly not inviting more, but I'm, I'm getting a little grayer, you know, a little bit here, a little bit, kind of the green lantern thing. I don't know if you've seen him. Uh, and at this point, like, hair is kind of all I got, so I'm just glad to just have any, right? But I'm graying out a little bit, and then a buddy of mine and I were talking, and this year is our 20th high school reunion. So, daughter's going to kindergarten, I'm looking at Just for Men at CVS. <laughs> and my high school graduation is coming up. These are all three things, and I'm sure you've experienced some also, that make you go, life comes at you quick. Where does, it go? Where does the time go? When we moved here, Betsy was a year and a half old. Now she's going into kindergarten. See, without a future secured by Christ's victory, it would be... It would make a lot of sense to feel like time is slipping away because it is. John Mayer, one of my favorites, has a line that says, stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's moving in. Like if this life is really all there is, we should feel that way. Certainly shouldn't burn an hour at church. We can be out having some more fun. But for the Christian we can view life not as a doomsday countdown until the end, but rather an eternal life that begins now because not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. See, this is the only reason that as a pastor, I, I can even show up and make it through a funeral. Now, I wanna be very clear, as someone who has experienced grief very personally, I would never suggest that this is easy, friends. But the victory that we share with Jesus over death allows us to not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I don't know what else I could possibly tell you other than I read that verse at my dad's funeral and that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. I told you this was a bigger picture message. This is life and death. So we are freed from fear and doom. And friends, we're also freed to love. That's the other thing that can change because of Christ's victory over death, that we are freed to love. So I'm gonna get one more swing at the limited atonement pinata here. 
Because if Jesus didn't die for everyone, then it's only a short skip and a jump to being able to excuse yourself from having to love everyone. See how quickly that line can blur? Well, if Jesus didn't die for everybody, then everybody must not be worth loving. And suddenly I'm coming up with the criteria of who that's going to be. And it's probably going to look a lot like myself, the people I choose to love. Friends, there isn't a single person you will ever come in contact with that Jesus didn't go to the cross for. Not one. And so how exactly the cross functioned and, and who across time believes and, and what happens eternally under this circumstance or that circumstance, we can place all those things in God's job description. Our job description is to love our neighbor as ourselves. I love how Billy Graham put it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and our job is to love. On the cross, Jesus turned tragedy for one into victory for many. Taking what people meant for evil and using it for our salvation as a preview of what's ahead. By faith and through his grace, as we share in his victory, free from fear, and freed to love, may our lives be a preview for others of the victory that can be theirs in Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together in your presence. God, we admit that we have fallen short of your call to love you and our neighbor holy. We thank you for your grace which allows you to pick us up and start again. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for his life and his teachings and for the courage and willingness he had to endure a horrible cross for the sake of many And in doing so, shaming the powers and authorities of this world, exposing their evil as they executed an innocent man. And God, we can't possibly wrap our minds around the mystery that three days later, he rose, completing his victory over death. God, even though we can't quite comprehend all of this, Help us to have the assurance in our hearts that it is possible for us to share in that victory. That as Christ died and rose, we too will be made like him. That he will bring with him those who believe in his name. God, until that day, help us to be your representatives here on earth. Help us to not live our lives as slaves to the fear of death and dying. As freely as we have received your grace and your love, help us to freely give it away as well. Help us to treat every person we meet as someone who is worthy of your son's sacrificial life and death and his victorious resurrection. 
God, my prayer is that as we worship, whatever we came in needing from you, seeking to gain from you, that you would provide it in these moments. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray, amen.